back, everybody, and we're finally getting an actual episode out. Uh, and today, what we're talking about is correcting your naval records, and specifically uh, the importance of the Bureau for Correction of Naval Records. Right? We're going to talk about the process of doing that, the where you find the references and resources for that, uh, and I'm going to share some stories of my using that tool uh, to help some sailors out, and kind of the results of that, and, and by doing that, uh, sharing what is a very little known process uh, and the importance of it. Uh, We're really gonna drive home how important it is that you're aware of this because every time I've had the opportunity to use it to help sailors out, they had no idea that this was a thing. Uh, So we'll go into that and, and hopefully help spread some awareness of the program itself. But first, as always, uh, we're going to do a history segment. And today I'm going to be talking about the Battle of Hampton Roads. So let's jump into that. At midday on 8 March 1862, CSS Virginia, formerly USS Merrimack, steamed down the Elizabeth River from Norfolk and entered Hampton Roads. It was the newly converted Ironclad's trial trip, a short voyage that would deeply influence naval opinion at home and abroad. Anchored on the opposite side of Hampton Roads were five major Union warships, the Frigate Congress and a large sloop of war Cumberland off Newport News, and the frigates St. Lawrence, Minnesota, and Roanoke a few miles to the east off Fortress Monroe. All were powerful, conventional, wooden men of war. Minnesota and Roanoke, of the same type as the pre-war Merrimack, had auxiliary steam propulsion, but the other three were propelled by sails alone, and thus were at the mercy of wind conditions and the availability of tugs. As Virginia crossed the roads, looking, as one witness described her, like the roof of a very big barn belching forth smoke as from a chimney on fire, the Union ships called their crews to quarters and prepared for action. Turning west, the Confederate ironclad shrugged off steady fire from ships and shore batteries as she steamed past the Congress. Firing her heavy cannon into both ships, she pushed her ram into the Cumberland's starboard side. The stricken ship began to sink though her gun crews kept up heavy fire as she went down. In the words of one of Cumberland's enemies, no ship was ever fought more gallantly. Virginia backed clear, tearing off most of her iron ram and slowly turned toward the Congress, which had gone aground while trying to get underway. Confederate gunners put several raking shells into the frigate's hull and maintained a relentless fire as they came alongside. After an hour's battle in which Congress's crew suffered heavy casualties, she raised the white flag of surrender. As the Confederates began to take off her crew, several men on both sides were hit from gunfire from ashore, among them the Virginia's commanding officer, Captain Franklin Buchanan, who ordered the Congress set a fire with hot shot. She blazed into the night, exploding as the fire reached her powder magazines about two hours after midnight. Virginia had meanwhile made a brief demonstration in the direction of the big steam frigate Minnesota, which had also gone aground. However, with the day's light about to fade, the ironclad turned back toward the southern side of Hampton Roads and anchored. Though two of her guns had their muzzles shot off and most external fittings were swept away or rendered useless, she had dramatically demonstrated the horrible vulnerability of unarmored wooden warships when confronted with a hostile ironclad and was still battle-worthy. Her casualties, less than two dozen, were removed and command passed from the injured Buchanan to Lieutenant... Catespi APR Jones, who would take Virginia out the next day to deal with Minnesota. At dawn on 9 March 1862, CSS Virginia prepared for renewed combat. The previous day, she had utterly defeated two big federal warships, Congress and Cumberland, destroying both and killing more than 240 of their crewmen. Today, she expected to inflict similar fate 
on the grounded steam frigate Minnesota and other enemy ships, probably fleeing the lower Chesapeake Bay region of Union Sea Power and the land forces it supported. Virginia would thus contribute importantly to the Confederacy's military and perhaps diplomatic fortunes. However, as they surveyed the opposite side of Hampton Roads, where the Minnesota and other potential victims awaited their fate, the Confederates realized that things were not going to be so simple. There, looking small and low near the lofty frigate, was a vessel that could only be the USS Monitor, the Union Navy's own ironclad, which had arrived the previous evening after a perilous voyage from New York. Though her crew was exhausted and their ship untested, the Monitor was also preparing for action. Undeterred, Virginia steamed out into the Hampton Roads. Monitor positioned herself to protect the immobile Minnesota, and a general battle began. Both ships hammered away at each other with heavy cannon and tried to run down and hopefully disable the other, but their iron-armored sides prevented vital damage. Virginia's smokestack was shot away, further reducing her already modest mobility, and Monitor's technical... Monitor's technological teething troubles hindered the effectiveness of her two 11-inch guns, the Navy's most powerful weapons. Ammunition supply problems required her to temporarily pull away into shallower waters where the deep-drafted Virginia could not follow, but she always covered Minnesota. Soon after noon, Virginia gunners concentrated their fire on Monitor's pilot house, a small iron blockhouse near her bow. A shell hit there, blinded Lieutenant John L. Warden, the Union ship's commanding officer, forcing another withdrawal until he could be relieved at the con. By the time she was ready to return to the fight, Virginia had turned away toward Norfolk. The first battle between ironclad warships had ended in a stalemate, a situation that lasted until Virginia's self-destruction two months later. However, the outcome of combat between armored equals compared with the previous day's terrible mismatch symbolized the triumph of industrial age warfare. The value of existing ships of the line and frigates was heavily discounted in popular and professional opinion. Ironclad construction programs already underway in America and Europe accelerated. The resulting armored warship competition would continue into the 1940s, some eight decades into the future. So that was the Battle of Hampton Roads. Um, it was something that kind of popped into my mind uh, a while back, and it was something that I hadn't talked about yet. And I, I like talking about these old uh, naval battles and how the leaders navigated them and uh, I think they should be talked about a little bit more than they are so that's why I wanted to uh, put that one out there and then uh, also put this one out there talk about Bureau for Correctional Naval Records right your the accuracy of your records are ultimately your responsibility right and we talk about that all the time you've probably heard that a bunch of times um, but take this one to heart because what we're going to talk about I mean it'll really highlight the importance of um, not just you taking your record seriously, but also the mechanisms you have at your disposal in case there's any kind of injustice. Um, the Navy is a human organization, right? Which we've talked about at length. Uh, it's imperfect and as such requires mechanisms to right wrongs, right? Sometimes they're accidents, which we'll discuss, but sometimes uh, they're deliberate. And a process exists for you to plead your case, one of which is deeply misunderstood or not known. And that is the BCNR or the Bureau for Correction Naval Records. Uh, so before we get into that too deeply, I want to make sure I remind everybody, if you ever need anything from us, you want to provide feedback, you want to ask questions, request topics, whatever, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us at don't give up the ship podcast, or you can DM us on Instagram at DGUTS podcast. Uh, and I'll get back to you as soon as I possibly can. Uh, that was what the uh, midterm counseling episode, uh, you know, telling the truth. That one was 
based on a request, I got it out pretty quick. Uh, it, it's fairly easy for me to do the spin the yarns. It just takes me it takes me longer to edit them and get them up uh, than it does to record them. And I record those like in my car on my way home from work the majority of the time. So it's it's time I have already. Uh, so if you got those questions or have those requests, get them into me and, and I'll knock out a spin the yarn for you. Uh, it's no sweat or, or we can just talk uh, eat whatever you desire. So just let us know. Um, but let's dive into this uh, Bureau for Correction Naval Records, right? So it's a it's a little known process, and uh, and I encourage you to go to the Navy Personnel Command website and explore their resources. There's a there's a BCNR page, uh, and that's where I got a lot of this information from. I had to kind of refresh my memory. It's been a while since I've I've messed with any of this, uh, and I this is going to be a little dry. But again, I, I can't stress the importance of it enough that, that not just that you know about it, um, but that you know where to look for the resources. And don't be afraid to ask for help here either. Um, there's a young man I'm going to talk about in a, in a whole nother episode. Uh, I'll mention him a few times as I go through this because they're related, but uh, I talked to him about his experience with it. And his experience goes much further into a, into a different territory that I want to explore about uh, reprisal and uh, people targeting uh, a sailor because they don't agree or they don't like them or whatever, and, and it, the attack becoming personal, that kind of thing. So that's something that we'll dive into when I get to that point, but um, he went through all this himself for the most part, where he uh, he had a background, uh, I wanna say in like legal stuff, and so it was kind of something he took to pretty well, and he did his own research, and he figured it all out, and he kind of did all this by himself, um, but you don't need to do all this by yourself. You can find someone, including me, uh, that can kind of help walk you through this process. And every time I've utilized this, um, I've been the one walking in through it. And, and there was a first time for me where I, I was told about the process, had to do the research, I figured it out, and it was pretty simple to do. Uh, they're really not that involved unless you're waiting on gathering some sort of evidence. And we'll get into all that. Uh, so first, let's talk about what is a BCNR, right? So I'm gonna read the cookie cutter answer. Uh, what it really is, is the Office uh, of the Bureau for Correction and Naval Records acts as a liaison for the Navy Personnel Command to the Board for Correction and Naval Records. Um, and, and the BCNR was created by Congress in 1947 to provide a method for correction of errors or removal of injustices from current and former Navy and Marine Corps members' records without the necessity for private legislation uh, or litigation, right? So the law that governs this BCNR process, um, it's under Title 10 U.S. Code Section 1551 to 1557. Uh, and that's all straight from the website. It is a separate shore activity under the direction and supervision of the Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. So that's what it is uh, in, in the concept of it, right? The actual office of it. Um, and, and we're going to talk more now about what they do. Um, but first, like always, right? So I pointed you towards MPC for a reason. And what they have there is uh, a bunch of data, but they have the reference, right? SECNAV instruction 5420.193 is the reference that establishes procedures for making an application and the consideration of applications for correction of military records of current and former members of the Navy and Marine Corps by the Secretary of the Navy acting through the BCNR under Title 10 U.S. Code Section 1552, okay? So the instruction itself will detail kind of how the process is done. It'll give you the example of the form, which I'm gonna talk about in a second. It, it's, the, it's the master reference, so get in there and go through that. And then if you go through that and you're a little lost, um, utilize the MPC page, but also ask questions. Hit me up, 
talk to your chief, talk to your supervisor. Uh, they will walk you through this step by step. Um, your admin people are the subject matter experts. They've probably done n- a number of these uh, in the past, but utilize your resources so that you make sure you, that this isn't as stressful as it could be if you try to do it by yourself, but also that you get everything right. Um, so the form you'll actually be filling out uh, is called a DD Form 149. It's Application for Correction of Military Record under the provisions of Title 10, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to keep repeating that. Uh, December 2014 revision is the current. Uh, that may change in, in the near future. Uh, you know, they're always updating everything. But in Block 5, what you'll do is you'll state the specific injustice you're requesting that they review. So whatever you're having an issue with, right, it could be uh, an eval that was was not accurate. It could be a PRT score. It could be... Um, you know, it's something that was you earned was never awarded or, or whatever. There's a lot of things, and I'll get into some examples uh, when I get further in. But in Block 5, that's where you're going to detail the specific injustice that, injustice that you're asking the board to review. In Block 6, you're going to explain why you believe that the record is unjust, right? So 5, you're listing the injustice. And in 6, you're explaining why you believe that it's unjust, right? So that's where you're going to explain and kind of plead your case, right? This is why it's not okay that this happened or that this thing isn't in my record or that it is in my record and I want it out. Uh, And that's where you're going to kind of explain everything, right? And you want to do that without emotion, right? Just give them facts. Give them uh, the kind of a timeline, the who, what, when, where, why to the maximum extent possible. And then just give them the, you know, I have this evidence supporting it. And these people said these things and see the enclosures and stuff like that. Um, but try not to make it a, a, an emotional, like, you know, this isn't fair and I want it fixed, right? Give them what they need, which is evidence to, uh, to help you fix this injustice. So it's common to attach a separate written statement for both these blocks, right? Because you're generally not going to fit everything you want to in those blocks. That's kind of like any Navy form, right? So it's fine uh, that you simply write C attached and provide that uh, as a kind of like a, an enclosure, right? In block nine, you're going to provide any evidence you have to demonstrate that the record is unjust and support your claim to get it fixed. Okay, these should be copies of whatever original documents you have reflecting that information. Um, they, these are not going to go into your record. They're not going to f- add or subtract or anything. This is just you're providing evidence to the board. So that's why you want it to be copies because you obviously want to keep the uh, the originals so that you have them uh, for this exact reason, right? And there are specific instructions for completing the DD form 149 on page two of the form. If you if you literally it's a one page form. And then if you look at the second page, there are step by step instructions, but also utilize the experts. Okay, utilize your personnel folks, your admin staff, uh, take advantage of them. Or as always, you can hit me up. I've done it a few times. I'm not some super high level expert, but I know I know how to do it. Make sure the evidence you have is evidence, right? Uh, like the the any supporting documentation, right? Uh, like if you were given an award and it's not in your record, it's not on any evals, but you have a copy of the award or you have some correspondence saying that you got the award, any kind of evidence saying that you got this award or that this thing didn't happen the way that your record says it does or whatever, right? Any kind of evidence, and I, I stress any, and as I get into the examples later, I'll kind of explain why. I, one of them that got approved and got the service member the desired result, I thought was shaky when I was submitting it, but I was like, look, the worst case scenarios, they say no. Like, we can ask them to do anything, and they're going to review it because they have to. So um, just any anything that you think is material uh, to 
fixing whatever you believe is the problem, that's evidence, right? And so you want to get documentation. If you know, if someone involved will send a statement or some kind of a correspondence to you saying, yes, this is, I was there, this happened, whatever, that's a, that's evidence, that's something. So submit anything that you think is evidence uh, supporting the, the remedy of your injustice, right? So next big main point is what is this for? So, so we know kind of like what it is. So now what actually do we use this for? And because I keep using the word injustice, right? Uh, It is what it sounds like. We're trying to right a wrong. Uh, It can be anything from a missing award, as I mentioned previously, that you don't have a copy of, uh, but you could have gotten advanced with uh, if you had, you know, if you had a copy of it, right, if you had those points, to an extensive case of retaliation by superiors, which, again, I already kind of mentioned and we'll discuss in that episode, but it can be a very wide range. That's what this is for. It's kind of like the catch-all. Like, if you have something that you can't just remedy by your personnel folks submitting the piece of paper, like the actual award that you have and it's just not in your record, but you know you got it and there's, there, or, you know, something's wrong with your eval and, you know, it's it's been a while or there's something, you know, that you weren't advanced and, you know, now you found the documentation or you missed an exam by no fault of your own, whatever. There's a lot of different uh, possibilities here. Um, but that that's kind of what it's for is that it's kind of when you've when you've exhausted all other options. That's probably the best way of explaining it. When you've exhausted all other options, but you still think something's wrong and you can uh, provide some evidence supporting that that claim. That's what this process is. Um the actual application process is very, very simple. So you complete the DD Form 149, which is a two-page document that's really only one page, as I mentioned previously, because the second page is just instructions on how to fill out the first page. Uh, and then you'll probably have some C attached to expand on the, the blocks that they, they need the, the, the data for. Um, and then you'll need to provide the supporting evidence. So copies of those documents should go along with a detailed explanation to support your claim. And that's blocks five and six that I talked about earlier. Once you complete it, you sign the application, put all of that, the application uh, and all the supporting evidence in an envelope and mail it to the address uh, for your applicable service at the bottom of the DD Form 149. And that's it. Uh, you got to wait a while. So not based on the board being the only of its kind and the volume of applications they receive, it takes time. Uh, I would say on average six to nine months to get a response, but it varies depending on how much work they have. Uh, depending on which service it is, et cetera. So I've heard wildly varying time frames, uh, like just a range of times, but it generally takes about, like I would say it averages like six to nine months. Um, it certainly took a while for us to get responses. I think the second one I did took almost a year. Uh, so make sure you keep your mailing dress up to date and incepts so that the decision makes it to you accurately, right? Um, but you know it, it's going to take some time, obviously, right? It's an administrative process. You're sending your stuff to the one board of its kind, and so is everyone else. So just be patient. Uh, so not the last kind of main main point is like, does it work, right? Because a lot of people talked about BCNRs, and I never had any experience with them until I got to the position where it was like, we're not going to not pursue this one thing. It wasn't something that like it, it was a big deal. So we decided to do it. And, and in my experience. It does work. Uh, I have sent two separate BCNR requests on behalf of sailors that worked for me directly or indirectly, and both were approved. And that doesn't speak to my abilities or, or anything like that. Um, the first one was a sailor who missed an advancement exam while he was deployed to Iraq by no fault of his own. Uh, and then when he was available or he was unavailable to take the makeup exam. So when he got to us, 
we went through the process of applying the exam score from the exam he took recently, like he got on his way to us, he was doing some schools and he took the E6 exam uh, for his rating. Uh, and we applied that score on which he did not advance on that exam. We applied that score to the cycles that he missed, which is the process that the Navy Advanced Center uses. Uh, and he would have advanced two cycles earlier. So we've got his profile sheet from two cycles earlier. We've got the exam score on the current profile sheet. We've got the process that says this is what we would do, right? Uh, so I basically, I mean, that one was open and shut theoretically, right? Where like I had very, very like black and white, this is what happened documentation showing that this guy should have gotten advanced two cycles earlier uh, from E5 to E6. So he showed up to us in E5. We submitted this documentation. Uh, it took a while, but when it got approved, uh, he went from a senior second class to an E7 exam eligible first class overnight. He received about $20,000 in back pay. And then not only did he make board, but he was advanced to chief petty officer that year as well. So that's a pretty huge change and an obviously positive result, right? This kid went from a senior second class to a chief in like six months. Uh, it was pretty nuts. And it's an extreme example, but it obviously the process itself just for that one case alone, like proved its worth, right? Uh, we needed that process to exist in order to get all the separate fixes done, right? It wasn't something that like on the current cycle, you're missing one point. You could just submit a correction letter to, to Navy advancement folks in Pensacola and then they, the guy just gets advanced, right? We see that happen all the time where they find a point. This was way different because it was like, way, it was years ago. Like it was this, by the time he got to us, I think he should have advanced like 18 months earlier or something like that. Um, and so that was an extreme case. It wasn't something that we could get in a time machine with a just a correction letter. Like this needed to be adjudicated at a, at a higher level. And it was. Um, and the second case uh, was a case in which a sailor had, had a missing award from her record. Uh, and didn't have the original like certificate, right? Uh, they didn't have, it was a NAM and she didn't have the award. Um, she uh, tried to get it from her previous command and they didn't have it. It, ha it was recorded on an evaluation. Uh, and so she corresponded with her CO at the time who had moved on to another command because it had been that long. Uh, and she recalled approving the award. So there was email correspondence about that, that, yeah, I remember approving the award. So I, I remember it existing, but then they, uh, the command, we kind of talked to them about basically redoing the award. Uh, and then they got into some way like, they didn't really feel comfortable doing that. And then the person didn't feel comfortable signing it, the old CO. And so we got into this place where it was like, look, you know, I've got an eval that says it existed. I've got email correspondence from your formal, former CO that says it existed. Let's try BCNR and see what happens. I was like, I like reading the the emails that she gave to me. I like, I was like, maybe like, I feel like when you, when you looked at all the evidence, it was like, I'm pretty sure this award existed, but you know, like, I could go either way with it. Um, I guess I don't know. It just it wasn't. It wasn't like beyond a shadow of doubt, in my opinion. So I, I try to temper enthusiasm. I'm like, look, this like feels a little shaky to me as I'm going through it. And, and I'm really involved in this process throughout. I mean, this over a year of us trying to gather all the evidence. So with only the evaluation and the emails as evidence, we submitted it. 
And I told her that, I thought, you know, I thought it wasn't inclusive, though it was compelling, and she should temper her expectations. And it came back approved. <laughs> and he, the award uh, advanced her to first class one cycle earlier. She got about $10,000 in back pay and was eligible for chief one year earlier. So you can see not only does it work, but it's worth a shot, right? Like the, if the evidence isn't like beyond a shadow of a doubt, super compelling slam dunk type evidence where it's like it, it's, it doesn't prove without a shadow of a doubt that this injustice is in fact wrong and you need to fix it because I got this smoking gun evidence, you should still submit a BCNR. Like if, if you know that the injustice was unjust and that it should be corrected and you have mildly compelling evidence, submit a BCNR. Like the worst they can do is say no. Uh, so you should definitely use this process uh, if you're in a position where you have exhausted all your options you have compelling evidence of some kind of any kind uh and you know you you don't have anywhere else to go right that's the whole point is uh it's it's your last shot the board will review everything uh and kind of make a final determination so definitely use it if you think that you're in that position um and and finally this this episode uh, it was inspired by a young man that reached out to me regarding his experience with this process which went down a whole nother road. Uh, there's a lot more to this story, which is why it's going to be its whole. It's going to be its own episode. Um, once I get to the point where I kind of hash out everything that I want to do with it, and then the logistics of it, because it's going to be like an, an interview uh, with him. Uh, we'll delve into the way in which he used the process and others to right his wrongs, and and his were based on uh, reprisal, essentially. Like he was in a position where there was. Uh, discrimination of several forms taking place, uh, which led to like evals and awards and stuff being, you know, misused and abused to kind of cater to the people that were on their team and then, you know, kind of ostracize the ones that weren't. He spoke up on behalf of someone else and was helping her try to use this process. And then it turned into a, a really bad work, well, like hostile work environment. They targeted him and singled him out and. Uh, it was it was a really bad situation where people, some people ended up getting in, uh, getting in trouble and held accountable and moved around and such. But it's an interesting discussion uh, that I want to make sure that we have. And I, j- I just got to figure out how I'm going to do that. But um, just understand, I guess, that you're not alone. Right. That um, that no matter what, there there's a, a resource or. Um, an avenue that you can go down to correct whatever is wrong. Uh, And you should never stop when you meet that adversity. And that's my favorite part of his story was basically that, I mean, the position he was in, most junior sailors would have wilted, right? It was very intimidating. Um, A lot of powerful people were telling him to shut up and, um, that they'll do this, that, and the other thing if he doesn't, you know, stop pursuing what he was pursuing and doing what he was doing. Um, but he knew it was wrong, and uh, it was, you know, not basically not worried about the reprisal, like which is kind of stunning. Like most people would be, most people <laughs> would uh, kind of back off because they fear for their, you know, their job and their livelihood and, and losing all the things that they earned. Uh, and that's why reprisal can't happen. And that's why people do need to speak up and go out of their way to protect the people, um, that are in those positions. And, and so I guess the, the whole point is to understand that there's always an out, right? There's always a way, 
um, and never, ever be afraid to ask for help uh, if you're ever in a position like that uh, from me or from anyone that you trust. Um, so in summary, for episode 29, what we talked about was the Bureau for Correction and Naval Records and what it's for. Uh, the process of applying it and that it does in fact work. And and there's many examples that I'll share uh, more of in that episode when we interview that sailor. And we share some stories of why it's important. Uh, It's a big deal to have that recourse. It's important to know the mechanisms available to you so that you can correct any of these errors or injustices because that's a gigantic life-changing thing in some of those cases where uh, that one sailor went from uh, an E5 to a chief very quickly. I mean, think about the money for his family. Uh, you know, just the how how crazy his career trajectory changed. That might have retained him in the Navy or not if we hadn't fixed that, right? Uh, so it's incredibly important that you know this process exists, know the resources, and you can go to them uh, and, and be able to leverage this process for your sailors. Um, I recently got to spend some time uh, at a, one of the legacy academies uh, for the initiation season. And uh, I ran into a sailor who I, I knew he had made chief this year. I ran into him at a PT session previously, and uh, he was one of the guys at the legacy academy here in my area. And uh, part of the what we did, I was there as a section leader, so I stayed the night on board uh, the ship that it was on. And it it was really cool. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, the Legacy Academies are amazing. I highly recommend checking them out. But if you make chief, or if you're a chief listening to this and you haven't uh, been involved in any way um, as a mentor, or like in my case as a section leader, all I did was go kind of babysit for the night. But it was really cool. And one of the things I got to do uh, was in the evening we were kind of sitting on the mess decks and uh, guys were just coming up to the chiefs and a bunch of guys hung around late. Uh, in addition to me and two other guys that were section leaders for the night and. We just uh, talked to the guys, mentor, little mentorship, and and gave charges, which uh, you know, charge books are part of the season. I'm not going to get into that too deeply, but um, as I was sitting there talking to him, giving him the giving him the charge, we were we were on the same boat together uh, previously, and we knew a lot of the same people, and uh, we were talking about one of my old cobs, who's a, a mentor of mine that I talk about on this podcast all the time, and uh, one of the things that came up is. Um, he, he like thanked me for something that I did <laughs> and, I, and I was like completely clueless about what he was talking about. And he goes, you don't remember. And I'm like, I, man, it's been a long time. Like remind me, you know, like tell me about it. And he goes, oh my God, like the, so I made, or he's like, I, I took the second or the first class exam and I missed it by like half a point. Right. And there was an award outstanding that it was coming from like they were about he was about to get an award for the deployment and uh it was like very within the realm of possibility that like like the things he had done were like before the exam happened and normally like deployment awards take a while to route and get approved so they get dated the date they get signed right um, but everything for the award happened before the advancement exam. So we kind of like walked up and talked about it and they decided like, we'll date this prior to the advancement exam and not, it's not shady. It's like, this is literally when it happened. It took a while to route the award. So we'll just, you know, date it a bit prior to, even though 
it was capturing everything that happened prior to the exam on that deployment um, so that that point could be applied to this guy's advancement exam to get him advanced. And it was literally just one of those things where I saw it and I, I took the time to go through his profile sheet, compute everything, and then realize this dude's due an award. I, I, I sat in on the awards board, so I knew that. And I was like, you know, everything, it's not shady. Like we weren't pulling one out of thin air, right? Like I knew like, Hey, he was going to get a NAM. That's two points. Um, if everything happened prior to the exam cycle and the only thing delaying the date being written on this thing was the routing process. Is everybody on board with dating this the day before the exam so that he can get advanced and everybody was on board with it. Of course, right. The CEO wants all his guys to get advanced if he can support it. Right. And they merit it. And this kid did. So it got approved. Uh, we, I did the correction letter. Um, it all came back and we didn't tell him anything <laughs> like him and his chain of command. Like nobody told him that this was coming. So one day, uh, they were doing the award ceremony. Uh, and this guy got called up for his award and they're like, Oh, by the way, don't go anywhere. And they advanced him to first class and he had no idea it was coming in and like was super surprised and really obviously really happy. And, uh, I, I guess, uh, cause I, I had told him like, yeah, man, sorry, there's nothing we could do, I guess. Or something like when he asked me, Hey, is there anything we can do? I was like, ah, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't think so. I kind of strung him along cause we wanted it to be a surprise. And, uh, I guess after he got his award, I I yelled out like, hey, got you good. <laughs> like, I might have used a, another word with that, but like, I, I was like, I got you good, man. And uh, and he remembered all that and explained all that to me. And, and I was just like, damn, I like, I hadn't, I couldn't, I didn't remember any of it until, like, as he told the story, some of it came back, but I just like, there are processes. And, and it, the more you know, you know, like, the more knowledge you have to help you fix things like this, like the more tools you have in your toolbox to help take care of your sailors, advocate for your sailors, remedy wrongs, um, help defend people that can't defend themselves, right? If they find themselves in positions where they're like, they've exhausted all their resources and then they come to you for help, man, like... It's and that's why this topic was important. Like I, I know it's kind of dry. Like as I go through the the information, and it's just it's a piece of paper and a reference and a and a an administrative process. But then you hear the stories of the power of that administrative process, and that's why it's such a big deal. It's just like evals and awards. It's this boring admin crap, but man the difference it can make, the power that it has. And that's why you need to know how to work within these systems. That's why you need to be aware that they exist. You need to be out there looking for these things uh, and, and leveraging them. As I go through my uh, my qualifications for, for chief of the boat, right? Uh, as I mentioned before, it's kind of like a submarine CMC. I, I, I'm going to all these outside entities and learning all these new things. And um, even if it's just like things that have changed, like Navy college, right? Uh, when I was coming up, it was an office and you went in and talked to an advisor and made a degree plan. And now it's all online and it's changed. Um, and it continues to evolve. And so you got to keep up with those things so that you can take care of your sailors. I can't tell them to go see Navy college because they're, they don't exist anymore. Like you have to go online. There are people you can call, you can online chat with people, but uh, it, it's changed a lot. Uh, you can't tell people to go to PSD anymore. It's almost gone. <laughs> you know, like 
you need to be aware of how these processes are changing and what the new ones are. And I'm learning a lot as I go through this process of what the new processes are. And there were some that I was a little out of the loop on. Um, and it's big that, you know, I'm, I'm catching up with those things and that I spend the time to, to, to be on top of it. I'm not, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be everything to everybody, but I want to know as much as I can so that even if I only have an awareness of it, even if I only knew the BCNR program exists and kind of the things it can accomplish, then I can, then you're saying, you can tell your sailor, Hey, go talk to the admin people about a BCNR, go talk to your chief about a BCNR, right? Um, or look into it yourself and then bring it to me and I'll help you. Like you don't have to do it all yourself. You just have to be aware that it exists. You just have to know, right? That knowledge is very, very important. And I encourage you guys to check not only this out, but to be very aware of all the programs that are out there that can put you in the position to help best advocate for your sailors. You know, I hope you guys enjoyed it. As always, if you ever need anything from us, uh, reach out to us in any way that you can. You can email us at don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us, don't give up the ship podcast, or you can DM us on Instagram at DGuts Podcast. Uh, hit us up if you ever need anything at all. If you have questions about this, you have questions about other things. Uh, if I don't know the answer, I will find it or nudge you in the right direction or find you a resource that does know the answer. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. That's all I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. Mm-hmm.